broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's CW, and this week on the Midtown Business Radio Show, it was all about the business of music. We had the co-founders of Emerging Artist Network, Dave Sutton and Peter Stroud, with us in studio, talking about the cool technology platform they've developed that helps brands who are looking to integrate music into their branding and marketing efforts, putting them together with emerging bands who are on the rise, whose personality and culture would fit up well against that brand to make a partnership. And they brought along with them Nick Nespajani, many of the Atlanta folks around here We'll know him as the lead singer and co-founder of Yacht Rock Review. We also had Sonny Del Grasso of Ignited Entertainment Group facilitating booking of great talent at 10 Lizzie's restaurants all around the Atlanta metro area. Coming up, Dave Sutton talks about the Emerging Artist Network platform. Check it out. Emerging Artist Network is, is essentially a platform that is being used to help connect emerging artists with brands and specifically companies that are looking to use music as part of their marketing strategy. And the benefit for the artist is we're also doing a lot of data analytics and support to help them understand how to essentially reach their audience more effectively. So we're looking at things like their touring, we're looking at their ticket sales, we're looking at downloads, streaming, and most importantly, their social media and how effective they are at using social media to connect with their audience. And we score them. And the power of the score is that it allows us to then go to brands and essentially match up the artist with brands that would like to sponsor them and uh, bring them into venues and uh, essentially help them to monetize their uh, performances. Here's Nick telling the story of the evolution of Yacht Rock Review. Yacht Rock is kind of an interesting case study in making it work in the music business in in a changing environment. We started 2008-ish and, and we had an indie rock band called YOU that was given every Thursday at a club called the Ten High, basement in Virginia Highlands, to do anything we wanted. So we were doing soul music one night and comedy the next night, and then Led Zeppelin versus The Who. You know, we were all over the map, and one of the shows that we did was this Yacht Rock show, and we were trying to figure out why there were only seven people that paid for the comedy night and 200 that paid for the Yacht Rock night. We figured out pretty quickly why that was. Although I still think we're pretty funny. We, uh, <laughs> we, uh, the customer has spoken. Sort of incorporated it now, I'd say. Right. And, comedy. And what you say there, Charlie, the customer has spoken is actually what has driven the whole growth of this. Because we didn't set out to create a cover band or to make this our job, it has always been driven by what the audience reacts to and, and what they dig. And by taking ourselves and our ego out of it and following it in that way, our business has grown very organically and kind of become this raging monster of soft rock that it has become. Here's Sonny talking about how he approaches the talented artists that he's booking for the venues he serves and the cool technology platform called Gigloo that he developed to help him do just that. Check it out. What I try to do with the musicians, man, is like, again, being a musician is like, I try to set up really unique structures. So if I have a guy playing at Tin Lizzie's on a Friday night, and let's say he gets offered a gig to play a wedding for $1,000. I am not going to be the guy that says, no, man, you know, you've got to, you've got to play this gig with me until this is in a Friday night. I want them to go make that thousand dollars. Right. I'll give them another gig. I've got 80 guys and that's where Gigloo came about. And Gigloo is basically a glorified Facebook page, but I've got all the musicians on it and I allow them to gig swap basically. So 
a guy can go make his thousand dollars playing that Friday night, but then the guy that needs the gig on Saturday night, he can swap that out. So now everybody's happy. I never wanted to be the talent buyer that was like, no, you can't do that. You confirm this. And I always looked at my role as looking at what the venue needs and what the artist needs. And traditionally, there's a lot of gaps between those two entities. And I've always, how I earned my commission, I believe my job is to bridge those gaps. Stick around. We got the full interview with Dave Sutton, Peter Stroud, Nick Nespajani, and Sonny Del Grosso. Coming up next. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's CW. We've got a special show lined up for you today. We're going to be taking a look at the business of music this week. I've got the co-founders of Emerging Artist Network. That's Dave Sutton and Peter Stroud. Many of you will be familiar with Peter. He's the touring guitar player for Sarah McLaughlin, Cheryl Crow. He's set in with a host of other extremely well-known artists along the way. And then we've got a special treat, a couple of folks that many of you from Atlanta are going to be very familiar with. We'll introduce them in just a second. But Dave and Peter, man, thanks so much for joining us in the studio today. Hello, CW. Hey, What's CW? going on? For the folks who aren't familiar with the platform, talk about what you're trying to achieve with the Emerging Artist Network. Yeah, I can I can kind of kick it off and, and give you sort of the nickel tour. Emerging Artist Network is, is essentially a platform that is being used to help connect emerging artists with brands and specifically companies that are looking to use music as part of their marketing strategy. And the benefit for the artist is we're also doing a lot of data analytics and support to help them understand how to essentially reach their audience more effectively. So we're looking at things like their touring, we're looking at their ticket sales, we're looking at downloads, streaming, and most importantly, their social media and how effective they are at using social media to connect with their audience. And we score them. And the power of the score is that it allows us to then go to brands and essentially match up the artist with brands that would like to sponsor them and uh, bring them into venues and uh, essentially help them to monetize their uh, performances. And, of course, Peter, uh, many folks would know your face. You toured with Sarah McLaughlin and Cheryl Crow playing guitar for them. Talk about how this whole thing came together between the two of you. Originally, our partner Dan Lipson and I were trying to figure out a way to fund another band that I had formed a few years back called Big Hat. And, of course, going the other route besides going through a record label or indie label or anything. Just So uh, Dan had the idea of doing it through sponsorship and uh, reaching out to brands. And that's how I met Dave. Dave was the first person we approached with the idea. And just long story short, over time, you know, the, I had Big Hat. It was sort of sidelined because four of us are now playing with Cheryl Crow's band. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that sort of put us in, in the wings for the moment. But uh, in the meantime, over this course of time, we developed this idea for Emerging Artists Network uh, to fulfill the need for up-and-coming bands needing another revenue source for one for one main reason with the demise of of the, well, I don't want to call it the demise, say the change-up of the record industry. Yeah, from what I understand nowadays, it's it's different than it used to be. You put out a great record, sold a million copies, now you're making some really great money. Nowadays, with the new streaming services and the way, you know, even just downloaded music, um, the cut that the artist ends up getting out of that is very minuscule. When we're talking about the streaming services, apparently it's it's on the order of basis points, yeah, practically. Point zero, 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 seven so you, <laughs> you you were saying something about how you, you can get to a million downloads. Oh, here's your $1,500. That, that was awesome. Right. right, exactly. And so what what we're finding, there's with that transition happening, you're also seeing that a lot of bands are taking it upon themselves to promote themselves, doing their own marketing, mm -hmm. or if they're the next level up, their management 
is handling it. They're all in one. They're, they're doing everything. They're putting out their own records, and they're promoting it themselves. So uh, that requires money. Uh, the record labels no longer have the development budget, so they're not sharing them as liberally as they did back in, you know, in, in the past. So we're creating another ability for that long-term development of up-and-coming artists. And so as we've gotten to know you guys and learning more about the Emerging Artist Network, clearly touring is the place where artists clearly. need to be yep. to generate revenue to do what they need to do and Nowadays. make a living. Correct. And, yeah. and, and, and so obviously that costs money. Right. And the other thing, I mean, we shouldn't ignore the other side of that, that equation, which is brands, brands know the power of music right. and the ability to connect emotionally with consumers, with customers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of brands, I mean, again, we, we tend to think about Coca-Cola and Delta and these, you know, here in Atlanta, these big, these big brands, but there are also a ton of brands, smaller brands, um, restaurants, uh, local, local businesses that for a long time have felt like music was out of their reach, right? They knew it was important, but they didn't think they could afford it because they see these deals that, you know, people do with Beyonce and, you know, so these big artists. <laughs> and the reality is that, um, even the smallest brands, even local brands, can have a part in the music and, and helping to essentially become a patron for emerging artists and find ways to not only bring music into their business, but also to help sponsor these artists and take them to the next level. And when these brands are engaging with a band, can you talk about how they're typically, how is the music being folded into their branding and their marketing efforts? Well, that's the, that's the really cool part of it. I mean, it, it's, it's can be anything from, um, you know, getting involved in performances specifically for the, for a venue or for a, a brand. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today with our guests, uh, CW, but it can be everything from that all the way down to merchandise opportunities. It can be opportunities to, um, create music specifically for the brand. Uh, which I think we'll probably get into as well today. You know, using using uh, the artist's talent to essentially create advertising and support for how to best communicate the brand. Um, it's really a full range of sponsorship opportunities that it, it's only limited by the creativity of the brand and the willingness of the artist to participate. Exactly, and we can tailor it to each band. It's, it, it all depends on how involved they want to be, how much exposure. The the whole point of it is where the artist feels there's no kind of integrity compromise and the brand feels like, okay, there's a genuine relationship developing uh, between themselves and the, uh, the artist and their fans. Yeah, right. We never, wanna, we never want the artist to feel like they're selling out right. to the man. Right? To, uh, <laughs> right. And by the same token, we, won't, we don't want the brand to feel like they're going to get a black eye because right. you know, the, this is an artist that doesn't show up for their gigs and you know, creates a lot of noise and, and uh, problems for the brand on social media. So there's a vetting process here as well. A lot of it is about analytics, but there's also, and, and this is really a big part of Peter's role in the business is, you know, are these guys quality? Uh, is, there, is there really a good match? here between the band and the brand and that requires a lot of human intervention in addition to the analytic work we do so describe how the platform actually does its thing the yeah. emerging artist network platform well i'll start on one side and i'll let i'll let uh, i'll let peter kind of kind of describe some of the other aspects of it uh, at the core it's basically a big data kind of business right so we go out we have the ability to go out and scrape data about artists from their Facebook page, from their Instagram, from their uh, various social media platforms they're using. Um, we pull data in from things like Polestar, which tracks 
uh, the touring and performance, uh, you know, is this artist actually selling out venues? What size venues are they selling out? Um, we can look at things like Spotify and SoundCloud and streaming activity around the artist. And then, of course, we can, even though downloads are becoming less and less a part of how people listen to music anymore, we can track downloads at places like iTunes and, and other sources, YouTube. Um, and we basically assemble all of that data and score an artist based on their ability to reach their audience. So touring is a big part of that. Um, social media outreach is a big part of that. And this, obviously listening or, or consumption of the music is a big part of that. And using that score, then an artist can see, well, in my genre, if I'm a country musician, if I'm a, a pop artist, how do I stack up you know, against others in my, in my genre? And so from the artist perspective, the artist side of what you're doing there, are you more or less there? They, they kind of auto populate to some extent. If they're one of those bands that's on the rise, that's creating downloads, like you're talking about, they're creating some social media footprint, um, and they're selling out some shows. You, they, they come onto your radar kind of automatically based on that data flowing into the yes, system. Yes. Uh, based on the scoring, they don't have to seek our, you out. It's, exactly. We can find them pretty easily, at least at first level with our sure. data aggregation. So, what about on the business side of things for the brands? How do they get involved with your platform so that they can be matched up? We reach out to them as well. Okay. So, you'll call them up and say, hey, we're doing this. You want to have us help you? Yeah. And on, on the brand side, it's a little bit trickier, right? Because obviously the brand has to want to be involved. Sure. I mean, there's got to be a level of Sometimes like, I probably don't even know yeah. that this is something possible for them. And, and that's part of right. our, our marketing is right. trying to let people know that, hey, even, you know, hey, Cliff Bar, you may think that you don't have the, the volume or the, 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 the money to be able to get involved in music sponsorship. But guess what? We have a platform where, that allows you to engage with emerging artists. Um, so that's kind of one piece of it. The other piece of it is the, the actual matching algorithm. And we kind of joke with people that some at some level this is a little bit like eHarmony, right? yeah. where yeah. it's almost part of it is is just the straight up analytics. Like I want a country music band that's got a great following in you know Macon, Georgia, whatever, right? And brands will look at it, the the world that way. We want to target certain demographics and certain geographies, but there's also the whole piece of well, do they really fit our brand values, right? So you're not going to put Pitbull with you know some um, hygiene product, right? <laughs> there's just sort of certain things that just don't make sure. sense. And there's also issues, and, and Peter can address this in more detail, that, that they're, they're just, you know, a lot of artists are not, um, they haven't gotten to a level of quality where you would trust them to deliver against a certain, you know, brand profile. Sure. Right? So there's a, there's a human side of this as well, a vetting of the artist to make sure that um, we're not just, you know, turning them loose with, with a brand. Right. It's just a, it's a well-qualified relationship. And even we're finding a lot more of a, what would you say, a threshold, a, a wider range of acceptance in advertising and in relationships with brands to where a lot of brands want to get behind new artists and, and sort of let artists be who they are. And, and that's a big thing as opposed to we're not trying to do any kind of tailoring every band sort of finds their place but mm -hmm. we definitely find i mean you can look at the t-mobile ads and you can hear the sure. music they're putting yeah. on they put on some pretty darn edgy material yeah and, and that's what i was just getting ready to say it seems like when you watch 
the television uh, ads that are coming out or listen to some of the things on broadcast media. Um, clearly, as you say, the the music that's being included in those is a little more edgy. They can take more chances nowadays. I mean, right. quite honestly, I found some artists through advertising. Yeah, right. um, so it's a great opportunity for some of those artists to to be heard on a on a larger larger scale, and especially on the internet, mm-hmm. it's pretty wide open there, as we've seen. Mm-hmm. Well, you brought a couple of guests with you. We've been talking with Dave Sutton and Peter Stroud, the co-founders of Emerging Artist Network, um, a, a platform that allows bands that are looking to integrate music into some of their branding and, and their marketing efforts, link them up with bands that are on the rise, that are that are creating some buzz around their own performance, and match them up with some, you know, some personality measures, for example, between the band and the brands to try to help them have some, um, help that band do that much better in terms of their rise and, and funding their, their touring efforts and so forth, as well as being able to really uh, become a part of, uh, of brands, uh, outward facing uh, experience there so it's a it's a real cool platform and you brought a couple of people with you that uh, that work within the atlanta area entertainment space and beyond one of whom most folks that are here in the atlanta area has probably heard of you want to introduce us to the folks you brought with you today yes absolutely we have two great friends here we have nick with yacht rock review yeah, yeah. most people just call me the dude from yacht rock i <laughs> <laughs> answer to that <laughs> That's right. And then we also have Sonny Del Grasso with Ignited Entertainment Group. I've known Nick actually through my wife. She works with Nick's wife, Elliot, at Turner. Isn't it strange how Turner. all the wives know Nick? Yeah, what, that's what's right. A, what's that <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of worried about that. I really couldn't say. Um, <laughs> but I have had a chance to see them play on a number of occasions. They're an awesome band. you want to talk a little bit about Yacht Rock and how it came to be? Yacht Rock is kind of an interesting case study in making it work in the music business in, in a changing environment. We started... To 2008-ish, and and we had an indie rock band called YOU that was given every Thursday at a club called the Ten High, basement in Virginia Highlands, to do anything we wanted. So we were doing soul music one night and comedy the next night, and then Led Zeppelin versus The Who. You know, we were all over the map, and one of the shows that we did was this Yacht Rock show, and we were trying to figure out why there were only seven people that paid for the comedy night and 200 that paid for the Yacht Rock night, and we figured out pretty quickly why that was although i still think we're pretty funny we uh <laughs> we uh the customer has spoken sort of incorporated it now i'd say right and comedy it, and what you say there charlie the customer has spoken is actually what has driven the whole growth of this because we didn't set out to create a cover band or to make this our job it has always been driven by what the audience reacts to and and what they dig and by taking ourselves and our ego out of it and following it in that way, our business has grown very organically and kind of become this raging monster of soft rock that it has become. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how th- that, you know, the market forces caused your band to actually adjust. And it was cool because being a band that was kind of getting a start like many bands do, doing cover pieces uh, that are popular, that you were, you were, Thinking on your feet, and if you will, and really paying attention to what people were wanting to consume, and and now it's, I mean, you've you've done the national anthem for the Braves games. You're now performing, obviously, well beyond Atlanta. You just got back from New York, we, um, doing a big show there. Yeah, we were we get to tour and play a lot of the theaters that I always wanted to play with my original band, and and it it's funny because we get the respect from our fans and from other musicians that I think a lot of uh, original bands, you know, bands performing their own material get. 
because of how we approach our job and the kind of unique niche that we've created for ourselves, people treat us like what I call a real band. And uh, I'm very flattered. <laughs> yeah. I'm very flattered by that. And it, it's, uh, it's, it's hey, really fun. Hey, Nick, for the, I mean, for our listeners who don't or have not, I mean, the very few in Atlanta who haven't seen Yacht Rock, give us kind of just, you know, 30 seconds on what makes Yacht Rock Review tick. I mean, what, what is it about the, the, the list of songs and musicians that you, that you're covering? So Yacht Rock, I would say it's, it's kind of an Atlanta super group of, of guys who all played in indie rock bands that never quite made it to the top where music was their job. And, uh, just by chance we came together and it became our job and we play the music of the late seventies and early eighties, uh, the soft rock hits that are, you know, forgotten by some people and for other people too challenging to play because that music is actually very, very challenging from a, from a theory and performance perspective. You have to have ace players to pull it off stuff like Steely Dan, Holland Oates, uh, Orleans, boss gags michael mcdonald you know lots of singing yeah. complex vocal harmonies. Range too, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah the music we used to take for granted mm -hmm. but then as you say when you come to realize what goes into those songs what went into their performance was way beyond at an upper level the cool thing about the music that you play also it, it's you mentioned that it's music that many people forgot but it's also music that when you hear it it's like oh yeah that was oh i love that song you know what i mean it, it kind of comes comes at you like that and it's very takes you back to you know for us all sitting around here we're all fairly close in age you guys are a little younger but um <laughs> takes you back to that time i was in school you know and and uh so it's good time kind of music that uh, when you hear it it really gets you involved but beyond that you're not just a cover band that that's the other piece about it is you really make going to watch your performance an experience uh, you know in terms of you know, how you present yourselves, the, the, you know, what you wear on a given performance night and, and really it, it keeps it fresh and, and really is an experience visually beyond just listening to somebody cover a piece of music very and, well. And really find a way to involve the audience. Yeah. I think every show I've been to, I've always felt like you just, you have a way of connecting with the audience that makes the, makes it more than just a musical experience. I mean, like, you know, the guys wearing the hats and the, I mean, just the whole experience is actually what makes it so memorable. Yeah, I think I think you really hit on it there, CW, with the uh, the good times music, because that's the thing that all of those artists have in common. They weren't trying to make some grand political statement. You know, they weren't Bob Dylan or the Sex Pistols. I mean, it was Michael McDonald. He was singing about fairly simple stuff, uh, but it made everybody feel so good right. the way right. that he did it. And we took that and applied it, uh, as you as you say, Dave, to the other aspects of our performance. You know, we wear the polyester yeah. and the, and the, <laughs> yeah, I always love the photography you're putting out. And, uh, you know, we do this simple sidestep. We dance, but it's not, <laughs> it isn't choreography that's too complicated. So the audience can actually take part in it. And, and we've created this kind of environment where people can really escape. They can feel like it's 1978 and they're on the yacht with Ted Turner wearing their <laughs> captain's hat and their boat shoes. And, and just vibing out to Lowdown by Boss Skaggs or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> and, and by engaging people, you know, at that next level, it makes our shows a lot more interactive and gives people that, that feeling that you're talking about. The feeling I, I got when I first saw you guys at the 10 high, especially by the end of the night, you've got the crowd, they've been putting back a few and, and they're a younger audience. And, and I think that they were able to feel what that vibe was back in the day where that was the music that was what 
the atmosphere was when you went to go see a band like that, you know, when you'd go see like Confunction or, or, mm-hmm. or any of the bands at that time, there was this party atmosphere that, uh, doesn't exist today like it did back in that time. And you guys translate it to the younger audience who's never experienced that before. I'm going to contrast that too, because, um, you know, with Ignited Entertainment, you know, I started, that company started when I was working at Turner in marketing and I started managing this guy called Zach Brown at the time. And, you know, I managed them for their first two, three years of that whole enormous grassroots development thing. And, you know, the thing that, the thing about that, that you're talking about, and you said, you, you mentioned, you said a word reaction and we're talking about reaction and contrast to that. You know, I remember the first time I saw Zach and, and there was about 20 people there at Dixie Tavern on a Tuesday night. And, and he was great. You know, he, he was great. The songs were great and the music was great, but I, but I had seen a lot of great bands play and I, and, but, but the thing is, is I always told people that I played in enough crappy bands to know a really good band. <laughs> right, right. And so when I was at that first Zach show that I, I was watching the crowd, that's what blew me away was like, cause I had played in original bands my whole life and I always wanted the crowd to react to me the way that they were reacting to him. So I was able to see that. And through the years, you know, when I talked to bands and they'd ask me and stuff, I'd, I'd always just kind of come back to you. Like, you'll know, like it, it's, it's all about reaction. Like you could be a great band. You could sound great, but are people reacting back to your music? And that's when, you know, is that when you get that back and forth and, and with Yacht Rock, it was brilliant because you were doing that and, Talk about song selection. The thing, that, the brilliant thing about Yacht Rock is it would have been easy for you guys to just start doing '80s songs, to, you know, to do Jesse's Girl and eight six seven five three zero nine. But I think what made, what you guys did was so great is you really stayed focused on on the brand, like you stayed true to that brand. And I just always sat back and marvelled at like anybody else would have slipped into that '80s thing, you know. So I just. Well, the cool thing is, I mean, and, and again, I, I know Nick, you probably want to talk a little bit more about this, but you guys, ha- you guys have mo- moved in different directions, you know? So the Beatles show, the Stones, mm-hmm. I remember I went to Eddie's attic and saw you guys do XTC, which is probably one some of the most difficult stuff, right? To play. I'd love to hear how you prepared for that, but, but you've, I think the, the point that Sonny's making is you've stayed true to the brand when it's Yacht Rock, it's Yacht Rock. We know exactly mm-hmm. what we're going to get. But because you guys are very talented musicians, you've been able to create other products, you know, under the Please Please Rock uh, banner, which I'd love to love to have you talk a little bit more about. Yeah, we um, as Yacht Rock got bigger, we figured out that we needed to create a business. So we got a an office and hired some people to work for us. And it's it's kind of all once again grown organically where there was so much demand for yacht rock that we couldn't fill it ourselves. So there is now, you know, the yacht rock schooner is an ace band of guys who play, you know, a similar set list to us and they work all the time. And we have all these other bands underneath our, our please rock banner that basically get business through the, the, the website hits and the inquiries that we generate through the, through the yacht rock side of the business. Um, so that's been, really fun to get to help our friend musicians uh, make a little bit of a living and, and grow their brands as well. But for us to get to uh, play all these other types of music, the Beatles, the XTC, the Pink Floyd, the stuff that, you know, 
as musician nerds, we really love to play. Yacht Rock has given us that opportunity, and it's been uh, a lot of fun. Our fans in Atlanta are good sports, and they come along with us on that journey. But they know that if it's a pure Yacht Rock show, that we're not going to do a bunch of Beatles songs or Jesse's Girl. We're going to do Yacht Rock. But the great thing about Yacht Rock is that since it's not one artist, we have thousands of songs to choose from instead of <laughs> right. a couple hundred, you know, even in the case of the Beatles. And that helps us keep it interesting. Because I, th I think with any tribute or cover band, the risk of getting stale is omnipresent. And, and finding ways to avoid that, I, I feel, has been one of our successes as a band. We're sitting in the studio with Nick Nespajani and Sonny Del Grasso and Dave Sutton, Peter Stroud of Emerging Artist Networks. And clearly, Emerging Artist Networks, their big focus is to help emerging artists uh, to be able to uh, fund their work and make a living along the way while at the same time helping businesses who are trying to build their brands do that. And, the, you know, we're, we're, we're visiting with Nick about the, the brand of Yacht Rock Review. Um, one of the things I think is kind of cool about the band is being able to make your the business of covering music and and putting on a performance around that i mean it has really taken on a serious life and a brand of its own to the point that where from a commercialization perspective being able to make it into a business as you've described that now is putting offshoots off of it's like a it's like a long running series that some of the popular characters now are able to break off and have a popular show of their own it's it's been interesting that um there is such a demand and you are meeting the demand for that music. And I don't, I don't know, at least nobody that I'm aware of around here is doing it on the same level that you are. So it seems that there's some commercial opportunities that may come to you along the way since you're hitting a, a larger stage abroad. I mean, things like, or people talking to you about possibly anything with the film industry, for example, or television, anything like that. I would see that there would be people in those industries that would be looking for what you all are doing to be a part of whatever piece they're putting together. Uh, we have had some inquiries from different people. Nothing has really hit yet. We had actually a really interesting meeting earlier this week about doing a documentary about, you know, all the different uh, aspects of, of our path in the music business. Cause it's been pretty unique and, and, you know, very lucky combined, you know, luck combined with hard work has gotten us where we are. And I think that our story isn't like a band who has a hit song and gets to tour the world and, and has that kind of success. We've, we've gone on a very different path, one that wasn't possible probably 10 or 15 years ago, but because of social media and the changes in how people consume music, this path has become open and, and we've taken it. Where, what, what does the music industry, how do they view this kind of a, of a band? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, we're, we're XYZ band. How, how does the, how did it, how do labels and folks like that view acts like what, what you all are putting out there? I mean, are, are there, is there a place in that world to try to maybe grab you up and do what you talked about, put you on a tour that's, you know, global? Because it would seem that there's probably some demand out there well beyond our borders. Selfishly, I hope so. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't really know. I mean, I think that, you know, we're friends with a lot of people in real bands and who get to tour the world and, and do things like Peter does. And I think we've earned their respect and we just kind of have gone down a different path. And I think that it's always open. I always expected that like the real indie rock people would, would hate us. And there would be this just fountain of negative energy towards us because of the, perception of selling out. But I think that those perceptions have changed so much 
that that a business like Emerging Artist Network that in the 90s, Eddie Vedder and the Beastie Boys would have looked down on, you know, I'm not going to sell my song to a commercial. Now that's the goal of every indie rock band. So I think the concept of selling out and what is uh, what is holding true to yourself and, and what is commercial, those things are not there's not a clear dividing line between those things anymore. It's all gray. And I, that's why I think what Peter and Dave are doing is so exciting because every band wants to, to do that kind of thing, our band included, you know? And, uh, I think any way you can make it, I would say, I don't know what your experience is with that. <laughs> it's easy to be a starving artist. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine said once to me, a gigs, a gigs, a bleep, bleep gig. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so. and as long as somebody's not telling you what to produce, what your art should be, right. um, I think that that's probably where the distinction should lie. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with making a living doing it well and producing your art. Right. I, mean, I think it's more about say. creating your own path, which you guys have done, right. which Sonny's doing, which he'll tell us about. Right. And, and you know, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to marker, allow bands to do. I mean, I think it's a marker for what, what we're trying to build with Emerging Artist Network because there there are artists out there that are waiting by the phone for the label to call. You know, hey, we just had a great show. Why aren't they calling? And what we're finding is, and, and this is all, everybody here in this room already knows this, um, you know, the big labels are not putting money into artist development like they used to, right? So we all sit back at home and see what's happening with The Voice and American Idol. Well, that's that's like 0.00001% of what may happen to you as an artist, right? You can't let that or assume that that's just going to, you're going to be found, and the artists that are making a difference are, are like, I love hearing Nick's story. Every time I hear it, I think to myself, there's got to be a lot of guys out there like Nick that are true to their art, but they also are business people, mm -hmm. right? At the core, Nick and his his guy, and his team, they're good business guys. You know, I, when I first met him in 2008, it was in the context of business more than it was in music. And I saw that this guy's going to be successful. Um, he's going to find a way to monetize his art. And I think that's what emerging artists is all about. I mean, we're trying to help great artists not you know sell themselves out but stay true to their art but find a way to basically build a business around it it really feels like you've gotten to a point of some serious mass now i mean you're doing shows that was the sh you you did um the the big show at irving plaza in new york city and you rocked it out you were talking about that so now the venues are getting bigger um it would sound like you know the sky's the limit now in, to some extent for what you're doing and the different directions you can go yeah, the, the direction that we've really been enjoying lately is the we've gotten to a point where starting with guys like Peter, who's one of the first guys to sit in with us, um, that we get to actually perform with the guys that wrote the songs. Yeah, so you did the, the cruise with and John Oates. You got to play with him. John Oates played with us. We were just in uh, last month. We were in Hawaii and we were playing. Uh, we were backing up Mickey Thomas, who's a singer from Starship. <laughs> and Steve Augeri, who's the singer from Journey after Steve Perry. And so we did our set with those guys. And then Kenny Loggins played after us. And awesome. we got to meet Kenny Loggins and have him sign our record. And he was telling us how embarrassed he was of this record cover that we brought, you know. And, and so, so getting to have those moments, you know, growing out of something that we started in, you know, the smoky basement at the 10 High it's it's pretty surreal to to get to have those opportunities and i i think that's kind of the direction that we're heading in uh is is getting to play with those guys and and 
I well, mean, that that crosses the line. We're not a cover band anymore if we're playing with the guy that right. wrote the song. That's not a cover. <laughs> exactly. Well, right. and that brings that brings to attention uh, your next yacht rock revival that is on August twenty second. Which um, I'm not sure if this show will be under the uh, as it has been historically, where you have the actual artists uh, whose songs you're covering. You have quite a few of them join you. It is uh, as yeah. part of the show. Yeah, it's going to be that same thing, and it's out in Piedmont Park, you know, where you can see the Midtown skyline, and we've got um, Elliot Lurie from Looking Glass, who sang Brandy, Brandy. You're a fine girl, yeah. <laughs> uh, who actually, you know, the interactions with these artists are so fun, because we were talking to Elliot about that song a couple years ago, and he's like, yeah, actually, when I wrote that song, I don't know if I'd ever even been on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> And I certainly didn't know anything about being a sailor. So, you know, he's just like a guy from New Jersey. So uh, he's telling us about that. But so he's coming and Walter Egan, who did Magnet and Magnet Steel. Steel and, yeah. Oh, I love that song. Um, Matthew Wilder is coming this year for the first time. He did um, Nothing's Gonna Break My Stride from the early 80s. Also produced No Doubt's first big record. And so that's kind of the direction his career has gone in. Uh, Elliot Lurie from Looking Glass actually writes, uh, wrote some songs for Hannah Montana back in the day so oh, wow. like so these guys have all gone on even though you know one song that they sure. did they've all gone on to do different things in music but we, so we've got those guys uh the guys from player peter beckett and ron moss who do baby come back uh our good friend robbie dupree who's one of our favorites oh yeah one of the oh, first yeah. guys that yeah. ever ever came and sat in with us is coming and um now, is that steal away that yeah. is steal yeah, I away. Love that, that song drifts into my mind literally every once in a while i love that song yeah, Rob. I asked Robbie about his relationship with that song, and and you know, anytime your career is kind of defined by by one song more than your others, I asked him, you know, whether that was a contentious relationship, and he and he said it's an interesting mistress to have been involved with, and and that everything that he's done in his career is because of that song. So he never really gets tired of it or resents having to play it because it's it was like a gift that was given to him and he has been able to take advantage yeah, of it. That's kind of ironic how that can happen. You can produce a piece of music, a single song that becomes huge and it overshadows so many of your other pieces of work. I can see how to, to some level you get tired of, that's not all I'm about. I, I'm not all about Steal Away. I've right. got some other good stuff. You know what I mean? I, I can see where it could be kind of a fine line to walk. But like you say, you have to remind yourself, dude, I'm here because this was really awesome. Right. So, I'd yeah. say after 30 years or so, he's going, man, I'm so glad I wrote Steal Away. Yeah, definitely. The cool thing about all this is to, is to hear you talk about this, Nick, because it's such, you know, I, I, I it, inside, like, I'm like, it's so cool because what you're doing is unique. Like, nobody else does this. You brought it to one place, and now you're taking it to another place where you're inviting these musicians. And and to bring it back to kind of emerging artists and your story is that before Yacht Rock, you know, I remember when you were in YOU. And YOU was a great, great band. band. Yes. They had great music and, like, great singles. But And I think – I don't know if we had talked about this before, but I knew that you hit this wall of, like, well, what now? Like, what else can we do? Like, like we have a good local band. Like, we're playing good shows. Like, what what else do we have to do here? And I think a lot of bands either would have stayed stagnant or they would have, I don't know, or gone teaching music away. or drifted yeah. away. Yeah. But I always admired this about you. And I've, I think I've told you this a million times, but I love this, is that you just, you kind of shed that skin and you're like, what what else can I do? And you didn't like let it bring you down. Like you created this amazing concept. And I'll tell you right now, I work with a lot of bands in town. They all want to be, they all want to create a concept that's the next Yacht Rock. Mm -hmm. They all do. But it's like... And I'll, and it's, it was like the Zach thing. It's like a lightning, you know, like a lightning in the bottle, or whatever. It's yeah. like, 
those things are not easy to duplicate. And talking about emerging, like you emerged out of a, that universe into like a whole other universe. And not many bands do that. Not many lead guys will do that. And, right. and you need to. Exactly right. And probably, and so emerging artists sounds like would be a great place, you know, to to ha- kind of help that band that's in that kind of gray area of, well, we've ex- we've succeeded to this level. Well, we're not ready for the major labels or you, not that you need a right. major label anymore anyway, but there's this middle area of like, you know, even with Zach, I mean, we were at a point where he, he this is back in MySpace days, but he was a number one country, independent country artist on MySpace selling out Variety Playhouse. But we were in that zone of like, would have loved to have had you guys around then because we had stuff to leverage. Mm-hmm. You know, and we were building like this great story, which which later worked for the label. But there was like this year of like, what else do we have to do here? Like right. we need somebody to, <laughs> you know. Help us. Yeah, yeah it's now beginning. We had real numbers. The booster there was real data there, but we didn't know what to do with it. It's beginning to have the uh, name of the music middle class. Yeah. You're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the great thing is, so the thing is, and a lot of people think, well, you know, because of social media and the internet and we have tools now to do it and the tools are there, but just because, you know, you can hand somebody a paintbrush and a canvas doesn't mean that they're going to paint, you know, a Monet or something like that. Like you still have to learn how to use those tools. So yes, the distribution is there where you don't need a label, but you still need to be savvy enough how, how to yeah. use these things. And that's a big part of, I mean, what we're trying to do with EAN, with Emerging Artist Network is create it's almost like a game right like we're all for those of you that kind of play around with linkedin and facebook and all these things i mean there, there's there's ways to play the game to raise your level of uh, essentially engagement with the audience and the score is a way of kind of giving an artist um some guidelines around that right so where do i need to up my do, i mean I'm, I'm on instagram why am i not getting a better score well it's because you're posting stuff but no one's reading it no one's engaging with you on it so all you're really doing is you know talking to yourself right and so so many of these things to your point sonny it's you you know it's not like artists i mean i think i think uh nick is is a um a little bit of an anomaly and that these guys really get social media and they've mm-hmm. built a huge following but a lot of people struggle with it mm-hmm. and it's 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 not uh, a joy it's a burden you know to go mm-hmm. through this process so a big part of what we're trying to do is well how can i increase my score what do i you know is it am i not doing enough with youtube am i not doing enough with with facebook what's the the driver of you know, holding what's holding me back really yeah. shows them the trajectory that they're on yeah. and lets them make some course corrections potentially to change it if it's not trending in the right direction. Exactly. That's and then really we cool. can also use it as a way to, when we're talking to brands, we can say, look, these guys are not only do they get it, but they're trending right. in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, we put a lot of bands in and it's, it's funny when we go through this process and you look at some bands that you think, oh, these guys are amazing. And they are. They sound great. They're, they're a great touring act. But you look at what they're doing on social media and nobody knows about mm-hmm. it. You know, the lightning isn't getting out of the bottle. So it's like it's <laughs> lightning there. and it's, it's trapped in the bottle. You know? <laughs> We've been talking with Sonny Del Grasso of Ignite Entertainment Group, Nick Nespajani, lead singer of Yacht Rock Review. And then, of course, Dave Sutton and Peter Stroud are joining us from the Emerging Artist Network. And we've been talking about how we can put bands together with brands. We've learned a little bit about the backstory of uh, Yacht Rock Review and, and some of the places it may be going. Um, and then, of course, we're going to be talking about the Ignite Entertainment Group. And, Which is uh, ignited, cool. right? Ignited, yet? Oh, yeah. Sorry, my bad. It's already been ignited. It's yeah. already you ignited. set me up there, dude. <laughs> Sorry. We, we deal with emerging. Give me a piece of paper. He'll read we're anything emerging. on He's the teleprompter. <laughs> anything. <laughs> Real quickly, Nick, because one of the things that you you've gotten involved with something on a 
social level here in the community, trying to help the place in which we live. Talk about the recycling initiative that you're working on here in the community, because, you know, that's a way that you're giving back to us uh, more than just making us feel good by playing music. You're actually looking out for us in other ways. So talk about the recycling initiative that people need to know about. We were, you know, as you can imagine, Yacht Rock plays a lot of nonprofit events, a lot of fundraisers. And we were playing one a few years ago, and I was looking for a way to get involved in the community a little bit more. I had gotten to the point where I was able to pay my rent, you know, and I thought, well, that Breakthrough. Could, that's a, that's a big deal. I should give back a little bit. So we were playing at this event and, and I was, uh, watching the, the screen go by kind of describing what this organization did. And it was called live thrive. And they were holding recycling events where people could bring all of the really nasty stuff that you know, you shouldn't throw in the trash like oils and stuff like that. Yeah. Things like oil, electronics, paint, cleaners, electronics, yeah. pesticides, my hair product, your hair product. <laughs> yes. Tires, um, mattresses, uh, you know, you know, all that stuff is bad. And when, when you throw it in the landfill, it leaks down into our water supply. And, and that's one of the reasons that we, that we have some issues with that here in Georgia. Um, and, and, uh, it just seemed like common sense to me. Well, of course we shouldn't be throwing that stuff away, but there was no avenue to get rid of it. So, so I got involved in this organization, Live Thrive, and and I went to our executive director Peggy Whitlow Ratcliffe, and I said, okay, we're doing these events. You know, we do a, a collection in Buckhead, and it would be one morning, five hundred cars would come through. There'd be a line up the street, and it would cost the city fifty thousand dollars to collect this material because transporting it, the permits, all these things, it's, it's expensive to deal with this stuff. And I said, what, you know, what's the biggest thing we could do? How can we really make a difference? And she said, if we, if we can create a permanent facility where people can bring this stuff, then, you know, we can get the word out on a more regular basis and we can greatly reduce the cost uh, that it takes to recycle that amount of material. So we started down that path and I joined the board and now I've become president of the board and we um, partnered with the city of Atlanta. Uh, Alex Wan and Carla Smith have been just champions on the city council helping us. They got us a location on Hill Street for a dollar a year lease, uh, which was amazing. amazing. Uh, it's 1110 South Hill Street and we opened the Center for Hard to Recycle Materials in April down there. And uh, it's a place where you can bring all of those things. And we work with recycling vendors whose goal it is to kind of close the loop on on these materials. Like so many of these things can be reused multiple times and, and use fewer resources in the process. So our goal is to help not only divert that stuff from the waste stream, but also find the secondary uses like the, the plastic dry cleaning bags that you're throwing away now. If you bring them to Charm, they uh, get made into patio furniture. Um, so know. are you able to then, as you collect these items and, and um, materials, you're able to commercialize them in some sort of way that would be si defray some of your expenses um, by selling some of those materials to the places that would repurpose them? On a limited basis, right. that's true right now. There's a, a center in Colorado that's been, been doing this for about 15 years, and they are able to offset 80% of their costs mm -hmm. with um, with revenue from the materials. But in Colorado, you know, the, the tipping fees are higher for waste, and there are penalties for people who do throw away these things. So there's more incentive for people to want to recycle them there, which mm -hmm. is something that hopefully in Georgia we can move towards. But, um, but that's the long, the long term goal. I was, I was just, uh, earlier this week down in, um, uh, by Columbus, Georgia at the 
interface facility, which is a company that makes carpet squares. And, um, they do a crazy amount of business. They're on like five continents, um, selling carpet squares. And they set a goal 20 years ago of, of becoming a company that, that reduces their footprint. And so they're recycling their carpet squares to the point where almost every piece of that carpet square can be made into a new carpet square. And, and that's the kind of company we're looking to partner with. You know, they're, they've reduced their petroleum by usage by 50%. I mean, insane for a, a petroleum-intensive company like that. And they're working towards uh, zero environmental impact. And I think the more companies that can kind of see that closed-loop approach, um, the easier time we're going to have doing what we're trying to do. And I think a facility like ours is is the beginning of, of companies and individuals understanding that kind of stuff. That's awesome. It's got to be supremely rewarding to see something like this that you get involved in begin to take shape and really look like it's got some sustainability to it such that it can really begin to make a big impact. I know how many times have we seen uh, stories here in the news uh, about the tire farms where people are just going out and illegally dumping tires. Um, you know, and I know that there's a myriad of uses for, for that type of recycled materials when, when it's taken to the right place. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, tires for city of Atlanta is a huge oh, issue. Oh yeah. Big time. Uh, public health issue with mosquitoes. It's a, it's a, quality of land issue, you know, not to mention all the nasty stuff that can seep into the water supply as the tires decompose. But, um, we're working on, on bringing those tires to charm and then, uh, they become playground base or, mm -hmm. or base for walking paths. You know, there, there are uses for these things and, uh, that's what we're, that's what we're doing. So what's the primary mechanism that you're using right now to let the community know this is available to them to bring their items? Uh, hope. Is our primary mechanism right now? No, uh, you know we. we Who is she again? How's that, how's that yeah. working? <laughs> we, we we grew so quickly, like we honestly didn't expect to be open this fast, and so uh, public relations is one of our big battles right now. Um, we're with that said, the amount of material that we've recycled in the first couple of months that we've been open has been just jaw dropping, thousands and thousands of pounds of of material, like more than 1200 pounds of styrofoam. And if you think about how much styrofoam weighs, we're yeah. open three days a week. I mean, that's, it's that's a lot of insane. Cups. Yeah. So, um, but I, I appreciate you letting me talk about it because getting the word out is one of our challenges. We're, um, hoping we, we have a meeting, uh, coming up with the department of sustainability with the mayor's office. And I think there are a lot of, uh, with, with, with his goal to become a top 10 sustainable sustainable city. I think there are a lot of ways that we can work together to get the word out. And it would seem to me that, that some of our global enterprises that are here, uh, that also have some measure of hand in creating some of these recyclable products like a Coca-Cola, like a Pepsi-Cola, um, some of those organizations you would think, um, could probably participate on some level with increasing awareness, if nothing else, um, to be able to serve while at the same time minimizing the expense of their being involved. I mean, just using the, the, the capacity that they have to across their marketing and, and, and advertising arms without really having any serious expense to them. I would imagine there's some possibilities there. We're hoping so. I think for brands, a lot of brands have a very specific uh, goal that with their foundation or with their charity money. And our organization doesn't doesn't fit neatly into any one of those uh, goals at this point. Uh, 
at least that's how the brands see it. I see it differently. And I've been out selling that story to a lot of the brands that you're talking about. And uh, I'm starting to see some cracks in their armor. So I'm hoping that we can get some of these big corporations on board and, and really buy into what we're doing as being important for the city in which they operate and, and just on a bigger scale, closing the loops of some of these materials is something that's smart business in the long term. I think as interface has proven. Yeah. As you keep going, uh, we'll have to have you come back and talk more about progress and things that you've got going on with charm and, and, uh, be more than happy to help to the extent that we're able to through our channels here. Um, before we run out of time, I wanted to get over and talk to Sonny uh, Del Grosso a little bit more about ignited entertainment group and what you're doing there. Um, um, you've created a platform from what I understand that helps put somewhat in, in, in a similar fashion, but different, um, that puts, uh, artists together with uh, local venues that are needing some performers. So you want to talk a, a little bit about Ignited Entertainment Group and then Giglu, your your platform that you've developed? Music can interact with brands in so many different ways. And my anchor probably for my business is Tin Lizzie's. And my business has evolved through the years. And I just kind of always followed it wherever it took me. And I've always appreciated things that grow organically. And Tin Lizzie's was one of those things. And this is kind of more of a music literally interacting with the brand in that my hat has always been off to Tin Lizzie's because those guys, I mean, they're at a point now where I, how many, I, you know, I, I book all their venues, but I lost count of how many they have open now. It's like nine or 10. And I always had my hat off to them because no other brand in their category has really taken music and put it to the level that they have because to them, and, I, and I'm not a spokesman for their brand by any means, but I've been with that brand since almost day one. And as an outsider looking in, I think that Tin Lizzie's has done such an exceptional job with their brand because it's not just about the food. It's not about their service. It's about the overall experience and all of these things, including live music, plays just as an important role as does the food, as does the customer service, so that they've done a brilliant job of not really putting too much emphasis on any one thing but this amazing social experience. So Tin Lizzie's is at the point now where you know I book about – 200 shows a month for them throughout all their restaurants. And I mean, that's a lot. And the musicians, so I've got about 80 musicians on my roster that just play 10 Lizzie's. It's a minor economy you're driving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And they're like, and you know, 90% of those guys and, and girls, they're all original musicians. So they're playing the 10 Lizzie circuit and, you know, the cantinas and restaurants because they want to write original music. They want to be songwriters, you know, and they want to just, just that, that, but they play these cover gigs to kind of to get there. But they also play a very important role in Tin Lizzie's brand now. I mean, these guys, they've expanded it. I mean, they've been around for, I don't know, eight years or so, and they're up to 10 stores and they keep opening two to three every year. But music has been such an integral part of that. And the musicians are all brand ambassadors in their own right. And how I deal with those musicians and how I deal with, you know, I, I think of myself as a bridge between the venues that I represent and the musicians. And it's not just about scheduling musicians. To me, it's about this venue takes their branding very seriously. And I want the musicians to take that seriously, but they're their own brands in its own right too. So it's it's an amazing, I, I take a lot of pride in, in bringing those two together and doing things a little bit differently than other talent buyers might do in town. But Tin Lizzie's is pretty, is really creating a pretty cool little circuit that they have going. I don't know any. I don't know any other brand or restaurant or cantina or anybody that puts on as many shows or offers as many opportunities to local musicians as those guys do. And Sonny, they're they're branching out into new concepts as well, right? So are you are you bringing acts into the Big Catch? Yeah, and yeah. Smoke Belly. And places yeah. Like that? So 
I set up Ignited. I set up my book, my booking system to be basically a template. It's a streamlined process. I, all the musicians are actually on my payroll and I invoice the venues corporately. So that's the great thing about Ignited. And I've built my business based off how Tin Lizzie's told me they wanted it. And it's how I brought it into other companies because I handle all the payroll as well for all the musicians. So anytime Tin Lizzie's opens a new store, they just go right to the machine and the machine Everything. So, and again, all that brand consistency, how we run the music program for Tin Lizzie's is just that brand consistency because I book all of them and we just have the same mechanism through all so of them. So you're way beyond booking. You are a talent finder as well. You're, you're able, I'm sure you have plenty of musicians that come to you. Yeah. Who are interested in playing and then you're finding a, uh, a handful on your own, I would imagine, yeah. right? Yeah. And the other the other cool thing too, and now I've been a musician all my life and I've played in a lot of failed bands, but, I, <laughs> but I've always loved music and I've always, you know, written music. But so because I come from that, but I'm also a corporate guy. I was at Turner for right. close to 10 years in marketing. So I think that, and I think that Andy Mikowski, who's one of the owners at Tin Lizzie's, he's the one that brought me on to start booking their music back when they were just like two stores. And I think that... He had seen in me that there was this corporate thing, there's this music thing. What I try to do with the musicians, man, is like, again, being a musician is like, I try to set up really unique structures. So if I have a guy playing at Tin Lizzie's on a Friday night, and let's say he gets offered a gig to play a wedding for $1,000. I am not going to be the guy that says, no, man, you know, you got to gotta play this gig with me on Tin Lizzie's on a Friday night. I want them to go make that $1,000. Right. I'll give them another gig. I've got 80 guys, and that's where Gigloo came about. And Gigloo is basically a glorified Facebook page, but I've got all the musicians on it, and I allow them to gig swap, basically. So a guy can go make his $1,000 playing that Friday night, but then the guy that needs the gig on Saturday night, he can swap that out, so now everybody's happy. I never wanted to be the talent buyer that was like, no, you can't do that, you confirm this. And I always looked at my role as looking at what the venue needs and what the artist needs, and traditionally there's a lot of gaps between those two entities. And I've always, how I earned my commission, I believe my job is to bridge those gaps. It sounds like you've really taken the, the focus to a higher level as far as the quality of artists that you're providing to the stores so that in those instances, maybe Nick's not available tonight, but CW is, right. there's not a drop off. They're, they're mm. still going to get a quality artist. And, and so the experience for the store is going to be what they want it to be. And, and, uh, uh, and then CW, you're, you're available facilitate. every night. I was going to oh, say, yes. I, I want to hear your music, <laughs> CW. No, you, you don't. You. I sold my guitar. So. <laughs> no, yeah, all the, all of the artists, you know, they're all, you know, obviously, I vet them all out, and they're all at a certain level of professionalism and talent. And um, you know, so I, I, you know, selfishly enough, the things that I that I do are really to make my job as easy as possible. Like, you know, I set up a lot of things so that I can have the rest of my week to work on other things. But, but in the same way, everything I do empowers a musician just the same. Like a lot of the guys that I book now, I think if you were to talk to them, they, they'd be like, man. Nobody does this. Mm -hmm. And that to me is my biggest compliment. And I love yeah. anytime I get somebody new, they look at the systems that I created and they're like, wow, this is the coolest thing. And that's when I know that I've kind of done my job. And mm -hmm. that's what makes me feel good. So for, for Ignited Entertainment Group, is Ten Lizzie's the client or are you now serving other venues out there in a similar fashion? Because I know I've been to plenty with it want to have an artist and I wish the artist wasn't there. Right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I know that there's a need out there for, yeah. for venues that, you know, eating establishments and, and bars that want to have entertainment there, but maybe they just haven't been able to attract a high quality artist. I mean, I would imagine there's a market for you. Are you going in that direction or are you really focused on the Tin Lizzie's relationship? 
you know, I, I love the model that I have right now, which is ba- like, let's say another client came to me that had like five or six different venues and they wanted to, that kind my model is kind of set up like that. You know, every once in a while, a venue, you know, kind of a, will approach me and it just, it just depends. Like I want them to fit into my machine and, you know, and, um, and if, if they do great. And at some point I, you know, I, I just try to keep up with Tin Lizzie's at this point, but, um, but I do have all of their sister, uh, concepts like Big Catch and Milton's and Smoke Belly and Blind Pig and, you know, these Gypsy Kitchen and Southern mm-hmm. Gentlemen. These guys just, you know, they have a knack for opening up some pretty awesome concepts that when you talk about brands like Yacht Rock or, you know, even we talked about Zach earlier. And sometimes you just put a brand out there and, you know, Tin Lizzie's could have been just another can- cantina, but there's something about that brand that they're able to open up nine of them. And every time they open a new one, people just flock to it. Same thing with Yacht Rock. You know, once you guys started going, people just flocked to it. And there are marketing people out there that spend a ton of money on research and development trying to figure out what the next thing is. And they do. And it doesn't hit. So it's – I don't know who in marketing said it, but they said that the one thing that I know about marketing is nothing. You know, and it's <laughs> – sometimes you just create a brand and you put it out there. But Tin Lizzie's has that brand. Well, tell folks if they're an artist and they want to try to get involved with what you're doing, can you talk about how they might – get in contact with you or attach themselves to the, you know, Gigloo yeah. platform if need be? Yeah. So basically my website is, um, www.ignitedgrp.com and there's a musician page on there and people submit. And really the three things that I look at is just a song list. So I get an idea what they're playing videos so I can, you know, see them play. And the third is just kind of an idea of where else they're playing in town. And, um, and then I just kind of, We'll place them based based off of that. How about you, Nick? You have some uh, contact information for folks either for Yacht Rock Review or or, or the Charm uh, initiative that you're working on? Uh, people can find out about the recycling Charm at livethrive.org. Okay. And uh, for anything music-related, pleaserock.com. How about you guys at Emerging Artists? Uh, emergingartists.com, emergingartistnetwork.com, or emergingartists.net. Both work. Um that's pretty much it for us. If you haven't done so already and you're listening to the show, up on the upper left-hand corner of the Midtown Business Radio show is the iTunes uh, icon. You can get the podcast to our shows there. Please subscribe to us so every week you can meet the cool uh, entrepreneurs that we're bringing into the studio every week. I'm getting a minor MBA by doing this show. It's really been awesome to meet some of these cool, cool people that are doing some great things here in Atlanta. Um Follow us on Twitter at MidtownBRX and on Facebook.com slash MidtownBRX to Nick Nesbajani, Sonny Del Grasso, and of course, Peter Stroud and Dave Sutton. Uh, I really want to say thank you very much for joining us in the studio today. I know you guys are all crazy busy, so uh, making some time to share some information about what you're doing is uh, really much appreciated. Um, any final thoughts? We've got about 50 seconds. You have a new project that you're cranking up. You might... Just wanna, oh, the restaurant. That's yeah, right. I'm opening, we'll have to have you back and talk more about that. I'm opening a restaurant in Old Fourth Ward called Venkman's, and it opens uh, in early September. Restaurant and music venue. Come check it out. So come right. back and talk to us more about it when we get closer. I'd love to. All right, man. Well, to all you guys here in the studio, I really appreciate it. And to the folks who uh, took time to make us a part of your day-to-day, we really, really appreciate you. Turn around and share this, man. You might just help somebody you care about. Make an appointment to see us same time, same place next week. We'll see you then.